This morning, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will. We're, following, we're continuing a series of messages through an important book written in the New Testament, and it's written uh, by the Apostle John. And if you find with me your copy of God's Word, we're going to title of today's message from this text is Living Right in a World Gone Wrong. We live in a world that's gone bad, gone wrong, and how do we live rightly in this world? In John's first John, not John's Gospel, but the the book of First John, chapter number two, verse fifteen is the text that we have today. Will you find it with me? Verse fifteen: Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. The Father, that you would call us to a deeper walk with you. That, Father, we would examine our loyalty to you. And, Father, that we would recommit our devotion to you. And, Father, I pray that we would understand the dangers of following the pathway of this world. Oh, Father God, have your way in our hearts. Speak to us. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to do business in our lives, to convict us of our sin, to convince us about the right way to live, to comfort us in our grief and our sorrows, and to encourage us in our faith and our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember when your children were born? Do you remember the feelings that you had when they were born? What did you feel? How about when you received that child into your life, what feelings did you have? What emotions did you experience? I remember wondering, how in the world do we rear this child to live? And and how can it live and thrive emotionally and physically and most importantly, spiritually? I think as young parents, we often think about, how do I protect this child? How do I keep them safe? How do I not mess up? I remember when we... When you look back on your life, sometimes at a certain ages of life, you look back and you go, what was I thinking back then? But anyway, I remember when our very first child was born, Andrew, and uh, we were living in Fort Worth, Texas at the time, and I was uh, in school at the seminary, and uh, uh, so we, Christy and I came home with this little baby, and we didn't know anything about raising this child, and she knew more than I did, but I didn't know much, and I was like... God, just help me not break it. Help me not k- kill this child. And, and uh, I remember just being so careful and washing our hands all the time. I remember the pastor that where the church where we were attending, the pastor came to visit us, and uh, I was so obsessed with germs and not getting I said, would you please wash your hands with alcohol before you touch my child? <laughs> I was just over the top. By the third child, we didn't care. But the first child, it was careful. I, I see some of you the same way, just worried to death, especially that you don't mess up and you do this right. I remember when we 
sent our children to school. I remember taking, I looked at a picture the other day when we took our, our son to kindergarten for the first time. And I remember the feelings like, is he prepared for this? How will he do? Will he make friends? Will he be okay? Just all those worries that you have as a parent. It's only a thousandfold experience when you take them to college and drop them off at a university and walk off. We say, I've, my lamb is among the wolves, is the way I felt. But you know what? There's something more dangerous than a virus. We're worried a lot about protection in these days. We worry about cleanliness. We worry about masks. We worry about those things. And I'm not discounting that. But there's something way more dangerous for your child's life than a virus. And that's, and that's a wrong that's a wrong understanding about who we are and who God is. And so this sermon really has to do with our commitment about our dependence on God. And if we're going to live in a world that's gone bad, gone the wrong way, that's off track and rebelling against God and His Word, it begins with us, with our commitment our values, and our dependence on the Lord. This sermon has do's and don'ts to it. And so we're going to look at three don'ts and three do's, okay? And so let's look at the do's and don'ts in living right in a world gone bad. First of all, this is what John says. He says, do not love the world. So here's the don't. Don't be divided in your loyalty. Don't be divided in your loyalty. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. What is the world? In, God, in John's gospel, what does he mean, the world? Well, it's used different ways. For instance, the Bible says we are to love the world or that God loves the world. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the what? World, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He himself, meaning Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So here, the world is the people of the world, and of course, we're to love the people of the world. But that's not what John means when he says this passage, do not love the world or the things of the world. He's not talking about the earth here. He's talking about a world system, the worldly system that's under the control of the evil one. And that worldly system is in rebellion against God, rejection of God's authority, and a refusal to submit to his word. It is a system of lawlessness and hate and death. That's the system of this world. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and live in a sensible, live in a sensible righteous, and godly way in the present age. And so we're not to live 
in godlessness and worldly lust, but in righteous ways before the Lord. James chapter 4, verse number 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world is, what does it say on the screen? Friendship with the world is what? Hostility toward whom? Toward God. Now notice the last part of that verse. So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes what? Enemy of God. See, here's the thing. You cannot serve God and serve this world. You can't love God and have the same values of the world. You can't. And you can't go to a pagan temple and worship at the pagan temple and then go to the Lord's temple and worship the Lord. You can't worship idols and then come and say, I want to worship the Lord. Because idolatry is the same as adultery. It's unfaithfulness to God. It's hostility toward God. And you are hating on God when you are unfaithful to him. And so he calls us to be faithful and loyal to him. You can't say, I love you. And I hate you at the same time. It doesn't compute. You can't say I love you and be disloyal at the same time. You can't be unfaithful. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own soul, his own life, Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? You want the world? You want the things of the world? You want to worship at the altar of this world? You will lose your life. The first and great commandment is is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In the Ten Commandments, what is the first of the ten You shall have no other gods, what? Before me, other than me, beside me. No other God but me. Why? Because God is a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. What is the second command? You shall not graven or fashion any what? Idols and worship them. Why? Your worship is to be directed to God alone. The third commandment, you guys should know this, we just preached through the ten, right? And what is the, the, that is the name of the Lord. We are to keep it what? Holy, like his day is holy. And we are to revere his name and not take his name how? In what? Vain. That means we're not to profane that holy name because he is holy and there's none like him and our devotion is to be to him. This is the Lordship. We talk about the Lord our God. You're to worship Him. And you can't can't say, I want the world and the world's values and the world's system and live like the world and still be committed to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. What does it mean, Lord? What does the word Lord mean? Is He Lord of your life? The word Lord means master. It means the king of your life. It means the authority of your life. He's the owner of your life. 
He's the one that gives the marching orders to your life. He's the one that you submit to. He's the prime authority of your life. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from what? The dead. You shall be saved. The Bible says, now listen close. Whoever calls on the name of the shall be saved. When you call on the Lord as the master, the king, the authority of your life, you can't have a divided loyalty. You can't love the world. You're to love God only. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's why we're called in Scripture to come out from among them and be separate, to live separately from the world and not live for the God of this world. Now, we are to live in the world, but not what? Of the world. So this is, this is how we're to live. Someone said, and I think it's a good illustration of this, that the church or the people are to be like a ship in the middle of the sea of the world. And the ship is not in danger while it's in the world. But the ship is in danger if the sea gets in the ship. And that's the worldly thoughts, worldly ideas, worldly values, worldly, worldly ethics, worldly... This is worldliness is the esteemed ideas of this world, and ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. We're, we're reaping the whirlwind of that in our culture today. It's the acceptable behaviors. It is the popular conclusions of this world. If I were rearing children today, educating my children today, I would be, I would be vigilant to teach my children the truth. Because this world is filled with lies that leads to death and destruction. And you notice this harsh criticism against the world, uh, against truth by the world, because they can't stand to be in subjection to the Lord God. And they don't believe his word. And so they are in harsh critics to truth. I don't care what the Bible says, I believe. Well, who are you? I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do. Well, who are you? Well, I don't care what the church has taught, I'm going to do this. And understand that there's harsh criticism against you. And when you stand for truth and when you teach truth, truth about God, truth about salvation, truth about the gospel, truth about marriage, truth about our relationships to God, truth from God's word, and they turn with hatefulness against you. Don't be surprised. But they hated Jesus also. Secondly, don't be distracted by the world. So we, we don't want to be distracted. It's so, he says, or the things of the world. Oh, there's a lot of toys in this world. 
And there's a lot of pleasures in this world, a lot of jewels in this world. There are a lot of baubles to be fascinated by in this world. And there's a lot of things in this world that want to lure us and distract us away from our devotion to God. And these are identified in John as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride, the arrogance, and the pride of one's possessions. That's what he says in verse 16. So what are some of these lusts of the flesh? The lusts of the flesh are the desires. The word flesh means is the word sarks in the New Testament. It, it means your body, the members of your body, your body cravings, your appetites, your lusts, your desires... And they are at warfare against the spirit in our life. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a hunger. God allows us to have hunger pains so that we will eat and be nourished. Nothing wrong with hunger. There's nothing wrong with a desire or an appetite or uh, those things. Or there's nothing wrong with sex. It's a beautiful, wonderful gift that God has given us. But this lust of the flesh are about the gluttony, about the perversion of sex, about the longing for sensual and my senses to be satisfied. These are the lusts that are perverted and turned on top of their head that my fulfillment will not be found in God, but my fulfillment in the satisfaction of these lusts. This is the lust of the flesh. Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians. Do you have your Bible? In chapter number 5, Galatians chapter number 5. Look with me to verse number 16, and we'll put it on the screen for us today. In Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 16, he identifies, now the works of the flesh are obvious. First, well, let's look at verse 16. He says, if then we walk by the Spirit, you'll certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. This is the antidote for not living a fleshly, worldly life, and that's to walk in the Spirit. And that means that when you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in you and among you. And when you listen to His voice, He writes God's law on your heart. He empowers you to live for God. He, we are to keep in step with the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of of the flesh. It's not through legalism, but it's the work of God's Spirit as we walk after Him. Notice the verse, next verse, please. It says, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, that you don't do what you want. So he says, There's a tug of war that's going on inside of you, and that's the fleshly desires in you versus how the Holy Spirit is leading you to live your life. And they are opposed to each other. And this is not just our lower nature, but it includes our lower nature and these, these sexual and, and gluttonous sins in our life. The next verse, please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're now not under the law. The next verse. And notice, now the works of the flesh are obvious. He gives us a list here. We don't have time to go through the whole list, word by word by word, but we're going to look at some of them. The first word here is sexual immorality. And he says, this is a lust of the flesh. The word here, the Greek word for sexual immorality is the word pornea. 
Does that sound familiar to you? Pornia. That's the word. It is, it, is, it, it is the idea of perversion of sex. It means sex outside of marriage relationship. It's translated fornication in the King James. It means a, a, a sex outside of marriage. It's where we get the word porn from. It comes from the idea of prostitution and unfaithfulness. This is sexual immorality. We live in a culture that is given itself to complete sexual immorality. Our children are growing up in this hotbed of sexual pornography, and it is to the ruin of our culture. The next word that he uses is moral impurity. It means you're morally wrong. You've become polluted. You're, listen, the greatest pollution that can come into your child's heart is the pollution of this world. And it makes you unclean. And what can cleanse us from our sins? Only the blood of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can clean you. God can change you. Not only is there sexual immorality, moral impurity, but the next word that he uses is promiscuity. So translated here, it's sometimes translated debauchery. It means wantonness, shamelessness, wanton behavior. Then the word idolatry, which we've talked about. Then the word sorcery, an interesting word, sometimes translated witchcraft. I'm going to tell you the Greek word in the Greek New Testament that... The word that Paul wrote is, will sound familiar to your ears. It is this word, pharmakia. What's that sound like? Pharmacy. It's the idea of drugs. It's the idea of witchcrafts and drugs and the using of drugs for ungodly means. Some scholars believe that the drug that's referred to here is the abortion-causing drugs of the first century. But then he goes on from these deeds of the flesh to also other deeds in your relationships. Notice hatreds, strife, infighting, passive-aggressive meanness, jealousy toward other people. So you're envious and jealous of them. It's the word zelos. It means you're not satisfied with your life, so you want somebody else's life. And you're jealous and covet what they want. These are the lust of the eyes. You see, you want what somebody else has. Destroys your life. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, politics within your personal relationships that's destructive in your life. This is not of the Spirit. This is the flesh that wages war against the Spirit in your life. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he's carried away. He's enticed. He's lured. He's drawn like a, like a, a, a fisherman using a lure. He's enticed by his own desire. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is grown up, it gives birth to death. 
This is why Satan is a liar and this worldly system is a liar because it lures us to live a sinful, rebellious, lawless life against Almighty God and it brings death and destruction into your life. Be warned. Listen to me, please. We can't just sleepwalk through this life. There's a world system opposed to God. And these babies we hold, these children, our lives, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, we need to be praying for their protection and teaching them the truth. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, we notice Jesus is in the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the Satan. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's there 40 days and 40 nights. He's He's praying. He's seeking God. These angels come and minister to him. And there he's spending time alone with God, and he becomes hungry. Now listen, hunger in the, in the heart of our Savior is not sin. And when you have a hunger, that's not sin. It's not tempting to be hunger. He had thoughts of bread. He sees a stone. He probably might have looked at the stone. Then that looks like a loaf of bread, and he thinks, I'm kind of hungry. He looks at the stone, and he goes... Man, I could, I'd love to have a piece of bread, but that's his flesh. But it's not sin. But when Satan comes with his temptation now, it's a different story. If you are who you say you are, won't you command this stone to become bread? Oh, no, now, now we're struggling with sin. And he said, the Bible says, the Word says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh no, we will not give in to sin. Takes Jesus and shows him all of the kingdoms in a high place. Says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. Jesus said, this is what the scripture says. It is written... You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, our Savior would not give in to that temptation. It is a coveting, a wanting that is not right before God. Third thing is, don't be deceived by the things of the world. So this is the next don't. Don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the things of this world, by the accumulation of things, the boastful pride of life or the pride of your possessions. You know, we, this is the big lie, and as a young adult, I sometimes got sucked into this. You know what? I'd only be happy if. I remember thinking, I'd only be happy if I got my driver's license as a teenager. I'd only be happy when I get 16. I wasn't happy. I'd only be happy if I own a car. I had a car. I wasn't happy. I'd only be happy if I graduate from high school. I did, by the grace of God. I'd only be happy if. And you play that game. If, if I could just own that car, man, I'd be happy. If I could just have that house, I'd be happy. If I could just get that promotion at work, I'd be happy. If I could just get enough of my retirement to quit this place, I'd be happy. If I could just have this status symbol, I'd be happy. If I could just lose weight, I would be happy. If I could just get that girl to like me, I'd be happy. 
If I could just get married, I'd be happy. If we could have kids, I'd be happy. If the kids would leave, I'd be happy. <laughs> it's sometime, It's like sometime. There's sometime out here in the future. Something out here in the future will make me happy and blessed. It's this something that... And, the, and when I'm living myself in the windshield, looking out of here for something that will make me happy. I miss the present with God and my family and love and life. And some of you are missing life now because you're either thinking there's something out here or even, even as bad. You're looking in the rearview mirror of your car, your, of the, your life, and you're looking at the rearview mirror of your life and saying, if that hadn't happened to me, I'd be happy. If I hadn't gone through that, I'd be happy. If I hadn't had this experience, I'd be happy. I'd be joyful. And you're living in the pain, the victimhood of the past. I'm telling you, God's got your past. God's got your future. Enjoy the Lord God today and your love and your relationships. Satan lies to us. He deceives us. He distracts us. And he tells us that there's happiness found in something other than God. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse number 18 and 19 Jesus tells a parable. You're familiar with the parable. It's about the sower went out to sow seed. And when he sows this good seed, it falls, this farmer, he's sowing his seed on his garden, and it falls on different types of soil. And one of the types of soil identified was the seed falls among thorns. And this is what Jesus says. Then hear the word. The, they hear the word of God. People who have thorny hearts. Their soil is filled with thorns. Then the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. You see... This world wants to choke out the spiritual life in you. It deceives you. If I had this, then I would be blessed. If I had this, I would find life. But it's a lie. And God would never allow it. He would never allow you to be happy because of that thing. Because God knows your satisfaction is found in Him. He created you for Him. One of the saddest passages and verses in all of the Bible and all of Paul's writing is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse number 10. One of the followers of Christ, a, a, a disciple, somebody who had helped on the missionary work of Paul, was named Demas. And listen to what Paul says concerning Demas. Demas has deserted me since he loved this present what? World. And has gone to Thessalonica. 
What a sad indictment. How sad to leave for the world. So what do I do? What is the positive side? Don't do these things, but let's do these things. Number one, do be devoted to the Lord. In verse number 15, be devoted to Him. It means love, you're to not love the world or the things of the world, but have the love of the Father in you. Live for the Lord in your life. Commit yourself to the Lord as the Lord of your life. You're to worship the Lord God and serve Him only. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve the world and live for the world and live for God at the same time. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, there was a, Jesus, there was a Pharisee who came to Jesus. After Jesus has already kind of embarrassed the scribes in his confrontation of them, in the last days of Jesus' life, a Pharisee comes to Jesus. He is a lawyer. He's an expert in the law of, the, expert in the law of God. He said, teacher, good teacher, which commandment is the greatest in all of the Old Testament? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest, most important commandment. There's none greater. Love God with all that you have. My friends, how do I live right in a world gone wrong? Don't give yourself to the world and its ideas or its things or its deceptions and lies, but do give yourself completely to the Lord God to serve Him, to love Him, to know Him in your life. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6, and I don't think I have it on the screen today, but look with me. Jesus says in verse number 19, well, I do have it on the screen. Our tech team is so awesome. Sometimes it's not on the screen and they make it happen on the screen. It's like magic. Verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures where? In what? heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now listen to verse 22. If the eye is the lamp of the body, the eye is the light, the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness... How deep is the darkness? What is he saying? That's a, he's saying when the thing that you want and the thing that you think is life is in your eyes and it's in your heart and you pursue it, but it's not really light, it's, it's really darkness. And when the thing you pursue and want more than anything is really darkness, how dark is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one or love the other, or devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't. So then Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And all these things will be provided for you. God knows what you need. God will take care of you. Be discerning. Is the next point. Be discerning. Not only devoted, but discerning. Understand the difference between the Father's love and the world love of the world. Understand the difference between the temporal things, the world and its riches, are passing away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Understand the difference between temporal and eternal. And understand the voice of the world versus the, vo- the will of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Pay careful attention then how you live, not as unwise people, but wise, making the most of your time for the days are evil. So don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. My question to you, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? Who speaks into your life? What do you believe? And what do you value? Truth of the matter is, what words, the words coming out of your mouth betray what you really believe. What words are coming out of your mouth about God in this world? Your, your words betray what you really believe about God. When you make a sentence about your life and God, I want you to be careful how you construct that sentence. Now listen to me. It makes all the difference in the world. When you make a construction of a sentence and you use a conjunction, especially the word but, or a conjunction similar to that, it tells what you really believe what's behind the but. Well, Sally, is, she's nice, but she sure is a gossip. But what's the last thing you heard her say? She sure is a gossip. Because that's where the emphasis is at. That's what you really believe. I mean, our pastor's a good guy, but his sermons sure are dry. <laughs> but if you construct the sentence like this, I know God's in control, but I feel hopeless, helpless, empty. I know God's in charge, but I'm so angry, hurt, I want payback. I know God is in my suffering, but... I don't think he's really with me. But what if you turn it on its head? And what if you say, you know, I feel helpless and alone, but I know God's in control. I'm hurt and I'm angry and I want payback sometimes, but I know God's in charge and a righteous judge. I don't have all I want or need, but I know God is sufficient to supply Isn't it all the difference? Is he sufficient? Can you trust him? 
Is he wise? Is he good? Is God sovereign? Can God make all things work together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose? Is he sovereign? Is he wise? Is he good? Yes, he is. Amen. Amen. Finally today, delight yourself in the Lord. This is a do. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do what's good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Isn't that an awesome psalm? He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Pursue the Lord. Find your life in the Lord. Delight yourself. Rejoice in the Lord. Delight yourself. Make the Lord the joy of your life. And when you do, he will give you the desires of your heart. Some have misinterpreted that scripture and says, well, if I worship God and go to church, then God's going to give me everything I want. That's not what this says. God says, when he becomes your delight, the one who made you and knows the deep longings of your life, will meet them. And you will find life and security and joy and intimacy and forgiveness and confidence and hope and meaning. Because life is not found in things. It's found in God. Today, as we conclude, I want to confess to you, I've pursued these things in my own life. I've been reading this week the book of Ecclesiastes and the vain pursuit of so many things that end up empty. Listen to me. I've pursued these things thinking in my younger life, thinking even, even I can get distracted today. If I just had this, if I just had that, I'd be happy, I'd be satisfied. If I just had that position, if I just had this acknowledgement, if my ministry was just this big, then I would be more fulfilled in my life. That's all a lie out of hell. My life is found in Jesus Christ. And when I pursue and I crave and I want and I desire, the more I pursue and get and gather, the more diminished and famished I become. I become full, I become a glutton, but I'm empty inside. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you have life and that life abundant, full, and meaningful. Life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts, our lives this day. As we come to sing this final song, may we confess our hope and faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.